Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Christian Barnes. Wait, you're not Alex Gehring. No, I'm definitely not Alex Gehring. <laughs> definitely not Alex Gehring. This is our third episode in a row where we're missing our favorite co-host, Alex Gehring. We're sure he's better by now. At least he better be better by now. Um, but we're here at Recharge on site, and we're going to be interviewing uh, Shay Hada, a Chicago realtor, here in a minute because she was one of our Recharge speakers. But I have Christian here as my co-host today former podcast co-host or uh, guest of ours. Yes. So welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I feel like I need to say like longtime listener, first time co-hoster. I know. I love it. This is so much fun because there's been episodes in the past where I've been sick and Alex had to have a co-host, but I've never had to have a co-host before. So this is a lot of fun just sitting here meeting with everybody. Christian, what all has that? Because I can't remember. You've been a guest on the podcast in the past. I have. It's been a while. Yeah, but it's, I, I was going to say what our topic was. Now. I don't even remember either. Probably something about you being amazing and leadership and all of the I things you do. <laughs> but some changes have happened in your life in the past few years in a regards few. to your business. And um, I believe you just were invited to a conference somewhere with uh, was it Kansas City business women? You got some yes. honor. So tell me everything that's going on in your world, everything that's going on. How long do we have? We, we have as long as Amber gives <laughs> There's us. There's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot going on. It, uh, it's been a wild ride the last two years. Mm -hmm. Now, um, president and CEO of Better Homes and Gardens here in Kansas City, which is so fun. So proud of you. It, well, thank you. Thank you. It's been a fun journey. Um, not always easy, but, but fun. Um, but yeah, I recently, last year, I was honored by the Kansas City Business Journal um, as Women Who Mean Business, which was incredible. I really had no idea. Um, when somebody encouraged me to apply, I had no idea what it was. I thought, okay, this is just another award. You walk across stage, you get to put it on your website. Great. No idea the power and strength of this group of women that are all local, all here in Kansas City, all um, in different capacities of business, um, but all leaders in their own right. Mm -hmm. And just an amazing, amazing group to be involved with. It's been you know, an iteration of being involved in, in KCRER and really being involved and entrenched in the Realtor Association, it's kind of fun to stick your head up and, and see what else is going on in our city. And gosh, what an incredible time this is in Kansas City. So, so tell me a little bit more about this group. Do you like get together on a regular basis? Uh, what, what, how does it work? So it's uh, the best way I can describe it. It's like a sorority for grown oh. women without the pillow fights and drama. <laughs> The men are sad now. It's fine. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, we do get together. Just last week, um, a small group of us went to the Kansas City Girls Preparatory Academy um, down in like 17th and Van Brunt. It's a school that's um, a charter school in the Kansas City, Missouri School District, um, trying to put together our resources to help them build out a high school. Um, so just amazing, amazing things that I've been connected with through this group. Um, there's a, a, a private Facebook group for communication channels and just constantly being invited to do things and really be involved in the Kansas City community, whether it be from a business front, a volunteer perspective. Um, it, it's really opened open the door to a lot of really, really cool things. That's so exciting. I, it, it, I knew you had that honor, and then I saw the trip, and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's just amazing sometimes when they're able to bring women together in the same community, but in a bunch of different industries and the way that you can sometimes, I know a lot of times in real estate, we go to just, you know, 
here we are at a real estate conference right. today, but sometimes when we breach outside of our industry, we can pick up things and bring it back to our industry. Yes. Have you found the opportunity to do some of that so far? Absolutely, yes. And that's probably been my biggest takeaway. You know, we went to, you mentioned this trip, 137 of us in Mexico, all women, no spouses, no kids, <laughs> and Sign no cameras. <laughs> It was a lot of fun, but the connections there were incredible. And yes, just laying on the beach and just talking um, to these other leaders in other industries and saying, wait a minute, that's something that we can apply here within our brokerage. It's something that we can apply here in real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes you start thinking about things from a different way because you're right. You kind of get blinders on when you're inside real estate and you don't see what's going on outside of our industry. and, And that's been incredibly powerful. I absolutely love it. And you were honored this year with, was it Ingram's? With Ingram's. I was a part of the Women Executives of 2022, the, the, the top to 20. So yes, thank you so much. That was a kind of a crazy honor too, of just not of like, oh, uh, I just started my new job and now I'm, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really exciting. So we both have pretty exciting yes. roles in the industry. Talk to me about the changes in your role from being an agent to now being the CEO of Better Homes and Gardens in Kansas City. Oh, gosh, it's quite a journey. And one that really accelerated much faster than I thought it was going to. And probably a lot of people thought it was going to. Um, I, I think that the perspective that I bring to it, which is which is a little bit different than others, is that I was selling not very long ago. I mean, it was three or four years ago, and I was still transacting. Right. And I think that brings a level of, you know, in terms of leading a brokerage, a level of understanding of what our agents are going through on a daily basis and the struggles that they have. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to look at it from an operational standpoint point is you're looking at a big brokerage um, and day-to-day operations are very, very different than than in the trenches selling. But being able to bring that, that uh, perspective of in the trenches selling, knowing what the hurdles are, knowing what those... Um, what those friction points are and being able to solve for those is really kind of a neat perspective to bring to this role. But yeah, it was a, a huge leap, yeah. quick leap. Well, uh, very similar yes. to you. It was a few years earlier when I had transitioned from, you know, being an agent to then running a very large office. And I had, you know, sometimes felt some of those issues that I dealt with as an agent I was dealing with in a silo. And I quickly realized that almost every single one of my agents was dealing with the exact same thing. And there's a lot of power knowing we're not alone and translating that back to people. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Your new role... I see you posted on Facebook. I, I see little bits and pieces here, but tell me, like, what what is that new role that you're in? Because it looks incredible. So uh, the new role that I am in is I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Remax Regional Services, and what Remax Regional Services is is we are a franchise or of um, Remax uh, franchises, mm-hmm. and we essentially have the rights to about three quarters of the state of Missouri, and then all of Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. We have uh, seven states, about 240 brokers that um, we are uh, responsible for a lot of their things with them. Back, you know, basically they purchase their franchise through us and then we provide them services and things like that. So it's been really exciting because, I mean, you're involved with NAR like I am. Mm-hmm. Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, that's Region 9. We're right. very familiar with that area. We're very familiar with the people in that area. I'm learning, you know, meeting new people that are not necessarily right. involved at NAR. But the most exciting part for me um, is, A, my Kansas City brokers because, you know, I've already known them and love them and like them, but getting to know them on a better level. But it's these people in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. I'm learning like a whole new part of the country. I'm learning a whole new section of people. And it's just exciting being a part of that. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So your role 
your role whenever you uh, did the transition, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a right around the beginning of COVID times? It was right in the middle of COVID okay. times. It was exactly. November of 2020 when we were kind of in that false um, state of we're getting over this, but not really. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. My, might as well do it in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, why not? <laughs> Did that make any of the transition a little more difficult or you didn't really know what to expect? So it just was a part of the situation. It kind of, it, 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 you did, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, and it, it was like, all right, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to keep rolling and, and this is what we're going to do. Looking back on it a couple months later, I realized how that it could have been so much different with transition. One of the biggest challenges was really getting something that I love and that's getting belly to belly, eyeball to eyeball with people to, to hear what's going on with them and be able to solve things for them. Well, we couldn't do that then. Right. Um, it was all over Zoom mm -hmm. and all on screens, and it just made it a lot, a lot more challenging. Um, you know, when we did our first awards event um, last year, it was all of a sudden it dawned on me, we haven't done one of these in person for two years. Yes. Um, this is the first time we've actually gotten the entire company together in two years. How incredible. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're day to day, you're chopping wood, slogging it out. Um, until you really step back and, and go, wait a minute, this this is pretty monumental to tackle right. when everything was upside down in our world. It, it, and still kind of is. <laughs> it, it, it's, we're in that weird flux of like, are we? Are we not? You know, but it's like... Uh, Somebody uh, that uh, very close to recently had a very large uh, 40th birthday party, um, and it seems like a whole bunch of people that came down with COVID after the party. And I'm like, and I'm glad now that I stayed right. home and that I didn't go <laughs> to that party. Um, but it was like this. I was like, oh, and now we're still having super spreader events in 2023. Uh, and who knows when we'll actually be done. I remember the first... Like the first couple of weeks in March of 2020, um, Fauci saying, you know, and at that time, none of us knew what was going on. We thought, is, it, is this going to last a month? Yeah. Um, you know, when are we when are we getting back to normal? Mm -hmm. What's, you know, when our grocery store is going to be stocked with toilet paper? <laughs> when, what's happening? Hand sanitizer? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I remember him being on, you know, one of the programs and he said, you know, this could take us two, three, four years. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking at that point, oh my gosh, no way. Right. That just felt like an eternity. Mm -hmm. And now here we are, what, three years later? Right. And we're still... Still right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's, you know, I said the hand sanitizer when you said um, that getting the toilet paper, it was funny. There was someone on Facebook just earlier this week, she went into a Menards somewhere and they had this big, huge display of free hand sanitizer. Oh, you can yeah. take one, two, three, as many as you want. And I was just like... A couple of years ago, we couldn't find hand sanitizer anywhere. No. We would have paid $100 for a bottle of it. Now we're just giving it away free at Menards, you know? I'm pretty sure I still have a couple bottles stashed yeah. away at my house. Oh, I still have like the oh. the Jay Rieger, the stuff that oh, they, they the did. Huge I still the huge one. It smells like vodka. Yes, it does. <laughs> it was like you take a look, you're like, okay, uh, my senses are woke now. I, I made the mistake of putting a bottle, like a small bottle of that in my car. I'm like, this is not good. If I get yeah, pulled, pulled over, over. <laughs> I'm getting breathalyzed at 1.15 in the afternoon. <laughs> I swear it's hand sanitizer. Last question before we bring in our guest today. Um, it was very exciting on social media the other day. Your daughter just randomly ran into someone in the gym the other day. Oh my gosh. Tell me that story. And how excited <laughs> so, was she? Oh my God. Well, the funny thing is she didn't know who it was, <laughs> which is so her, um, which is probably a good thing. So she right. just started training with this guy that um, trains athletes. It's a small gym. And his birthday was last weekend. So a couple of his past clients came in to celebrate with him. And she goes on Monday to work out her normal time. And at 6, you know, 6.15, 6.30, I'm like, where in the heck is she? So I text her. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, she goes, oh, they're playing pickup here. So I'm just going to stay and watch. I'm like, great. Stay as long as you want. Whatever. Love you. Then the next text, 
in all caps is, oh my God, I'm sitting right next to Tyreek Hill on this couch. She didn't even know who it was. I'm like, oh my, hilarious, hilarious. And then she goes back on Tuesday and they're there again playing pickup. And she was like, mom, he remembered my name. He knows my name and thought it was a cool name. Oh, I so love she that. Excited. That she was pretty excited. I would be pretty excited too. I mean, I was excited just I was excited for her reading. I on know, social right? Media. And she's probably I mean, she's probably like, and who is he? players there too that um that she didn't get pictures with, but that night I was like, Well, who else was there? She's like, I don't know. There was this one short guy, you know, a lot like a lot same size as Tyreek. I could tell he was something important because people so many important people wanted to take pictures with him, some of the athletes. And she says, I didn't know who he was. She goes, he tried to rebound for me, but I just swiped the ball away from him because he's really short. He's not taking my ball. (laughs) I'm like, well, who was it? That's awesome. So it took us a while to figure out who it was, but it's hilarious. I love it. That's awesome. All right. We'll go get Shay and bring Shay in. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRIR. We are here with current episode co-host Christian Barnes and our guest, Shay Hada, who is a Chicago realtor. She's a former guest of us, or past guest. We're excited to have you back. And if you've not listened to our other episode, we recommend you go back and listen to it because... Shay's tips she gave back then are still applicable here today. And if you do not know of Shay, when she started practicing real estate, she grew her business from nothing to $30 million a year in sales within just four years. Amazing. You're so proud of you. And you're one of my dear friends, so it's always exciting to have my <laughs> friends on the podcast. So, Shay, for those who do not know you, talk about your journey and getting started in real estate. Sure, absolutely. So I'm super excited to be back. Thank you guys for having me today. Um, so essentially, I've been a realtor for about 11 years now. Uh, when I got into real estate, uh, I was not in real estate prior to that. My husband, Nobu Hada, who I think has been on the podcast before as well, um, he's been in real estate for about 30 years at this point. So so I got to see him start his real estate career when we were in high school uh, and kind of grow up as a realtor. When he took a job with the National Association of Realtors, we moved to Chicago because we were living in Minnesota at the time. And I had a business that was completely separate, an art education business that I sold to foreign investors. We moved to Chicago. And essentially, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had sold that business for a good amount of money. So I took some time off and was just trying to figure out life. And I remember my husband came home one day and I was in my pajamas. I hadn't showered in like three days or brushed my teeth. And I was making an H for our front door out of yarn because this was back when like Pinterest first came out. And my husband was like, what are you doing? (laughs) He was like, one, you need to take a shower and brush your teeth because this is just gross. And like two, (laughs) like you're making an H for our front door out of yarn. Like this is not good, Shay. He was like, you need to get some sort of a job. I don't care what the job is, just do it. So we started talking about real estate and I was like, well, maybe I'll give that a try. Maybe I'll like it. And I thought I would just do it part time, Um, but I ended up loving it. And so I jumped right in. But the problem, as Bobby said, was we had moved to a market where I didn't know anybody. I had zero sphere. We came, we originally are from Alaska. So traffic in Chicago is crazy. So I remember trying to drive to Target and they have six way intersections and I would, I had to pull over to the side of the road and cry. And I was calling my husband. I was like, I can't even get to Target without crying because it's so crazy here. So real estate was a whole new world because I had seen him do it, but I didn't know anything about real estate. I had no sphere. I couldn't get to Target without crying. I didn't know anything about construction. 
you know, so I spent that first year just getting to know the market, setting up systems, setting up a good website. You know, I paid an, an inspector to follow around for a couple months so I could learn construction, I could learn inspection issues, et cetera. And that's essentially kind of how I started the business. And I really put those systems into place and focused on lead generation. So I went from one transaction in my first year for 131000 <laughs> So that sounds probably very familiar to people, you know, to by the end of the third year doing $30 million, you know, in business. But that was because I was very systematized and focused, you know, on how to grow real estate. So that's in a, you know, quick snapshot how I got started in real estate. Impressive. So thank you. I'm going to ask a follow up question to that. And I don't believe that I've ever asked you this question. Yeah. One of the things that sets you apart in the realtor world, in my opinion, is that you actually have an Ivy League education. Sure. Obviously not in real estate. Yeah. (laughs) However, do you feel that any of that education and the people you were surrounded with during that education has influenced you as you've moved from one career to a completely different career in a community you knew no one? You know, to be honest with you, I don't. Um, My degree from Dartmouth was in history. So (laughs) one of those degrees that people are like, what are you going to do for a job after you get that? It's like a philosophy degree. Um, So I don't. I actually think what helped the most was growing up, um, my parents were divorced and my parents owned different businesses in the same mall. And so Nobu's family, my husband, he also, his parents owned a photocopy place in the mall, like a Kinko's. My mom owned a cookie store and my dad owned a, um, a, a, air, a studio, like like a recording kind of studio thing. Um, and he owned like a 60-minute photo place where you used to take your film. Anyway, we had a lot of stores in this mall. And so I grew up going to these different businesses and working in them. So I would start off in my mom's store. She would take me, I was about four. She would bring me in at about three in the morning. I would sleep there until I woke up and then I would help make cookies cookie dough. And I would stand at the register and I would sell the cookies because we couldn't afford employees. So, you know, that's how I used, I learned how to do math was selling cookies, getting soda for people, et cetera. So I actually think that I'm successful in real estate because I started working in my parents' businesses so young. Mm -hmm. And so at a young age, they always told me the number one most important thing is customer service. You have to treat your customers like gold or you won't have a business. And that really stuck with me. The other thing that they told me was that for every dollar you spend, you need to get $2 in return. So I really think about that when I spend money in real estate because I think in real estate we have – a problem with buying every new shiny object that comes out. Amen. And mm-hmm. realtors you. don't actually use the products that they buy. So I, my expenses are very low. I do a lot of real estate coaching now. And what I tell my coaching clients is your expenses for a solo agent should be less than 20%. If you're a team, up to 25%, but not more than that. And so one of the things I have them do every year is send me a list of all the things that they're paying for. And we sit down and we look at it and we figure out, are they actually utilizing these things and is it contributing dollars in their pocket and if it's not get rid of it you know so I think as realtors that's one of the things we really have to look at are we spending our money wisely and are we getting at least two dollars back for every dollar that we're spending so to answer your question I think it actually came from watching my parents more so I think you can go to any college or not go to college at all and be successful it's about do you work hard and are you thoughtful about what you're doing That's great. I've got a follow-up question as well. Um, You know, as you're in Chicago, you don't know anybody, you spend a year learning and setting up systems. And I think a lot of new agents, while their intent is to do that, they don't always do it perfectly. But 
as you're doing that, how do you not get sucked into just setting up systems? And how did you actually go out and meet people and, and get people in into your into your systems? Absolutely. Yeah, because you can't just set up the systems right. and not have anybody to put into them. Right. You'll never get business. I really bu- built my business on open houses. Nice. So I purposely joined a brokerage that was large enough where I knew there were going to be agents there who had too much business or didn't want to work all of their open houses. So for me, I would have had a hard time going to a small brokerage and growing my business. So I went to my managing broker and I said, look, I'm hungry. I want to make this work. Can you introduce me to the busy agents in the office who need help with their open houses? And so I developed a relationship with them. And I was very proactive. So every Monday, I would email all of those agents and I would say, do you have any new listings coming on the market that I can do an open house for this weekend? And I tried to schedule four open houses a weekend. So I would do two on Saturday, one from 11 to 1 and 2 to 4, and then same on Sunday. And I find a lot of new agents do open houses, but they're not very good no. at doing them. <laughs> yeah, And they don't convert people. I typically convert one person from every open house that I do. And to me, it's about the follow-up afterwards because I've never had somebody come to an open house and be like, gee, Shay, you were great, right? We want to work with you, right? Right? That's not how it works, right? So for me, what I do is I set them up on an MLS drip the next Monday after the open house, and I start sending them properties I think could be a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. And I follow up and say, hey, I just sent you this property. What do you think? Would you like to go and see it? Most of the time, I find people at open houses are not ready to buy then. So in conjunction with that, we have a two-year follow-up campaign that we set them up where once a month, they're getting email communications from us about what can they be doing to increase their credit score? How much money do they need for a down payment? You know, answer their frequently asked questions. Can they cancel the contract after they, after they go under contract? How long is contract to close? You know, educate them. Because if you're doing that and you're sending them the MLS feed, then I find you become their go-to resource. So when they're ready to buy, they reach out. So most of the time, when I picked up a client at the open house, it wasn't like they were like, hey, I want to go buy a house tomorrow. They might contact me six months later and say, I've been getting your emails for the past six months. Now I'm ready to buy. So for me, for new agents, I think open houses are a great way to do it. But you have to have a very good follow-up plan. Otherwise, you're wasting your time at the open houses. I would agree. It's not just showing up and putting a sign in the yard. Correct. I was going to say, saying it's open. Please come in and go. Bye. Right. Um, Shay, the last time you were a guest on our podcast was March of 2020. Right before. right before the world shut down. So perfect time. And we actually were talking about yes. COVID. I wasn't even thinking about that's the last time that Shay yeah. was on. So a lot has changed in the market since the last time you were on the podcast. Yep. Um, what ways should realtors be adapting right now in order to remain or become successful? Wow, that's a good question. Man, I should have had you send me these questions ahead of time. So, you know, I would say Right now, the market is changing a lot, you know, depending on on kind of the market that you're in. We're having a ton of, of problems with low inventory. So I think it's a lot about communicating to clients and being thoughtful in how you communicate. One of the things that we're doing a lot in Chicago is talking with our sellers about assumable loans because the challenge for buyers right now is – 
those 7% and 6% interest rates. So for every seller, we're having them contact their lender before we put their property in the market and find out if their loan is an assumable loan, meaning the buyer can take over the loan at their interest rate. So if the the seller's interest rate is 3.25, the buyer can take that over. That makes that property much more attractive to a potential buyer. The challenge with those assumable loans is the buyer has to make up the difference between what the seller is owed from the bank and what the seller wants to sell it for. So say, for instance, that property is going to be priced at $600,000 and the seller owes $500,000, that buyer has to make up that $100,000 difference. So you have to educate people, both your seller and the buyers, to make sure they can make up that difference and they have the qualifications to take over that loan. So for me right now, it's about being creative about how we're selling properties and solving problems that people have because that's one of the problems we're having high interest rates. The other thing we're seeing with a lot of our sellers is a lot of their equity to buy their next house is tied up in their current house. And so they think they can't sell and buy at the same time, and they don't understand how that process works. So we're talking with our sellers a lot right now about bridge loans, getting a bridge loan so that they can buy their next house first, because with the inventory being so low, our sellers are really worried about finding a house to buy, and they don't want to put their house on the market until they find a house. You know, so I think you have to really step back and look at what are the problems right now in the real estate market, and how can you creatively solve those for your clients to get them to move so we can try to get more inventory. You know, you you, you bring up the bridge loans and the, all of that as someone who just purchased a home in November without selling my home first. I think that as realtors, we almost have a duty and an obligation to go through the purchasing process like at least every five years because I put myself right in those shoes. And the thing that ended up working out with me and my lender is we decided I'd put down a a smaller down payment than I wanted to, but that we would recast my loan once I had sold my other home. And I was like, I had never, the years I've been in real estate, I'd never talked about recasting a loan ever before. So being creative right now, you're absolutely correct. It's how can we do this and keep real estate moving? moving forward. Yes, absolutely. I was just going to say, I love the education piece and the thoughtful communication. You said that. And I thought it was, Mm -hmm. you know, it, I think a lot of people right now are panicking a little bit in the market. A lot of realtors are panicking and they've got to stop and really think about how they can solve problems and do it through thoughtful communication. And I, I mean, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important that is right now. Absolutely. And I think if you talk to buyers and sellers, you know, the other thing they want besides education is they want a full service experience. You know, that's why, like, I'm not worried about people going for sale by owner, like that becoming a huge part of the market, right? This is a hard thing that we do every day, and it's complicated, and they don't know who to call when their roof has a leak. We're the ones that know that, right? So I think that's the other thing people, realtors have to be communicating is that we provide that full service experience, you know, and we try to take that a step further. Moving is terrible, as you just said, Bobby. Mm -hmm. It's awful, right? Mm -hmm. The packing, the moving, the unpacking. So one of the things we tell our clients is if they don't want to deal with that, go on vacation, We will come and oversee a packer. So they go on vacation. A packer comes, packs their whole house. We'll be there to help organize that. We will oversee the movers. And then we have unpackers who can come to their new house and unpack them. So when they come back from vacation, their new house is completely set up. They don't have to deal with any of it, right? We don't pay for those services, but we'll sit there and work all day with our hotspot and answer questions the movers have. And to me, that's the kind of full service experience that clients want that most realtors are not offering these days. 
you know, I have to laugh when you say full service realtor. And the only reason why is because my mom was a realtor. She held an open house and she met a gentleman who came through that she ended up, he ended up buying the house and she ended up marrying him. And then since we go, I really am a full service realtor. So <laughs> totally. that's a whole other level of full service. So, that kind of okay. service. <laughs> I wanted to clarify because when you say full service, that's the first thing that comes to my brain is, well, my mom said she was full service, but she married the guy who came through the open house. So we've brought everything exactly, together. Right. Totally. Um, one of your sessions that you did today was how to double your business in one year. Um, how has your advice for attaining that goal changed as the market has changed or are the basic principles evergreen? Yeah, it hasn't changed. I think that as realtors, we don't have a, we don't do a good enough job focusing on our past clients. And to me, at least 80 to 90% of your business should be referrals from your past clients and sphere. If you do that, you won't be worried about the market changing. I have no concerns about the market changing right now because I know that the foundation of my business is very solid. If I were somebody who only bought leads for lead generation, I would be very nervous right now, right? So I think as long as you have a good foundation, you shouldn't be nervous about about the real estate market changing no matter what happens because people are always going to have to move. And if you are treating them well, they will always think of you. So to me, the basics are what we should always be doing, events follow up with our clients, pop buys, pop-ins, mailings, calling our clients, taking them out to lunch. To me, that is the foundation of a good business. And so that's, I think, what everybody should be focused on. And I feel like that's the stuff people miss. And mm-hmm. they think they need to be focused on lead generation and picking up the phone and calling people for four hours a day. I don't want, I don't know about you guys. I don't want phone calls, Mm-mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you no. guys want phone calls? No, nor do I want to make them. Yeah, exactly. No. So to me, it's like, focus on that other stuff rather than thinking you have to call people on the phone who don't want you to call them, right? But I'll take a gift. If you want to drop a bottle of wine off at my door. Heck yes. Right, right. I'll take that, but I don't want your phone call, <laughs> right? Like, so think about, you know, what are the basics that you should be doing? And then I really think you'll have a solid business. You know, one of the things you you really talk well, everything that you talked about in that first session, you know, I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm like, none of this is rocket science. Oh. None of this is brand new information. Totally. These are the same things that we've been talking about in different formats for years and years and years, as long as I can remember. Um, and yet people don't do them. Correct. Agents don't do them. So we're going to continue to talk about them. What advice would you have for agents that are sitting there going, okay, I want to do something here, but they don't even know how to start. Totally. Yep. And I think that's the thing. Like, we get overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, that's – I think that's the thing that I'm good at. I'm good at just doing one thing, getting it done, moving on to the next thing, right? Like, I've been doing this for 11 years. So I didn't do all of this from day one. This is 11 years of systems and processes that I've put into place. So figure out one thing. You know, if you're a more experienced agent and you aren't doing client events, I would say start with that. Pick one or two client events and do those. Once you've got those into place, then do a pop by or a pop in and do that, you know, so pick one thing. You know, I think the easiest thing to start off with is a post-transaction follow-up program. You know, I think those should be 15 years because buyers and sellers right now are saying that they're going to stay in their house for 13 to 15 years. We don't have enough data yet to know if they're going to stay that long. Right now, on average, they're staying 10 years, but they're saying 13 to 15 years. So to me, that means you need a 15-year follow-up program, okay? That is one email a month, so 12 emails for each year. You know, shoot, 
write one email, send it out the next month, the next month, write another email and send it out. And over the next 15 years, you can build that 15-year follow-up system. You don't have to sit down and do it today. Mm -hmm. Write one email a today. Like that's all you have to do is just start, pick one thing, do it, and then move on to the next thing. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Make a list of everything you want to do, cross one thing off at a time. And I think that's important is doing it, kind of breaking it down like that. I remember a coach told me, I was like, I feel like I'm not getting anything accomplished every day. He goes, you are though, you've got to break down the goals yep. and you've got to say, okay, what, what piece of that can you get accomplished today? So it's not that I've got to sit down and write 15 years of emails. I can write one and, and, and break it down. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is yeah. trying to do it all at once. Yeah. One of my very favorite books um, ever, it literally was life-changing for me, is The Four Disciplines of Execution by Sean Covey. And what they talk about is there's two ways that a leader can get results. The first one's through a strategy or plan. Most of us have no issues coming up with an actual strategy or plan. The other way that a leader gets results is through the execution of that plan. And that's where most of us fail because we get caught up in the whirlwind of the day-to-day and we have too many goals to push ourselves forwards. And so we don't know which one to focus on. But, you know, it goes back to the law of diminishing returns. The more goals you have, the less that you're likely to achieve with excellence. And I think that's where people get lost is they can achieve them to a certain extent, but never with excellence, because they'll come to a conference like this, they'll walk out with nine ideas and not know where to start, as opposed to just choosing one and running with it, get it in place, move to the next. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I know for myself, I have a piece of paper every day at home that is my to-do list for the day. On the top has one or two things that are the things I'm actually going to get done that day. Those are the most important two things I need to do that day. And then underneath it is a list of like four other things I'd like to get done if I get the two first ones done. And then underneath that is everything else. And most of the time I get one, maybe two of the most important things done and that's it. I don't Mm -hmm. have a chance. But each day I'm getting those two things done and other things move up the list. I think... It's also important to look at what you are good at and play to your strengths. Mm -hmm. So if you're not good at something and you have the money, hire out those other things. I have four assistants, but they're all part-time assistants. Most of them work about 10 hours a week. One does social media and marketing. One does running around, dropping stuff off. One of them does scheduling inspections and estimates and things like that, right? It's all the stuff I hate to do, and so I won't do it. You know, so look at, like, I'm good at, events and lead generation and things like that. I'm not good at the details. So figure out what you're good at because that's what you'll do. The stuff you're not good at, if you could afford it, hire somebody to do that stuff. You know, it's funny you say that because every time I've ever hired an admin for one of my offices, I always tell them, keep a list of the tasks you absolutely love to do because I know you're Mm going to run to those, but I also want you to keep a list of the tasks you dread doing. And when we make our next hire, we're going to hire someone that's going to do those things that you hate to do so Mm -hmm. that we make sure that they get them done. It's a very simple concept. Like you said earlier, not rocket science, but it's something we don't do enough of. Totally. And I think that's why, like, I hate a lot of real estate coaches when they say, like, you should be, you know, calling expireds and for sale by owners and cold calling and door knocking. And it's like, yes, but do you actually like doing that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean, I've met one person who was like, I love door knocking. And I You're was like, the one. <laughs> I bet. Exactly. I bow down to you, you know? And it's like, then do the door knocking. But for the 99% of us, none of us like doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to do it consistently and we're not going 
going to be good at it. So I think that's super important is to figure out what do you not like to do because you're you're not going to do it and you're it's not going to come across as authentic. No. Like people are going to feel that you don't like this and that you're not good at it and you're not going to do a good job. It's funny you say that because I was teaching up in Omaha, Nebraska yesterday and there was probably about 60, 70 people in the room and I said, who here loves doing lead generation? for the first time ever, one person raised their hand. Yep. And, and I was, she's like, well, I just love to go to cocktail parties and meet people because I'm connecting. And I was like, to the rest of you, why don't you like doing it? Well, I don't want to door knock. I don't want to, I don't want to cold call people. And I'm like, that's the problem is we all associate lead generation yep. with these used car salesman tactics totally. when that's not what lead generation has to be if that's not your style. Yes. Right? Totally. Figure out what your style is and do that. Yeah. Right? Crazy. Yeah. And I think it's also about like, how can you help your clients? Like that's the change we need to put in our mm-hmm. mind is that like, I'm in, I'm not in the sales business. I'm in the business of helping people. Right. And so if I help people, they're going to want to help me by giving me more business. Right. I don't want to be a used car. I'm not selling anything. No. I'm trying to help you. Right. Yep. You know? That, that's a, that was a conversation that I ended up having with people. It's like, we're coming from a place of contribution. We're helping someone achieve the American dream. I'm yes. not trying to put some money in my bank account. That's just an added benefit at the end. Exactly. Yes. Last question that I have for you. Yeah. Same question I ask every guest. The very last uh, question is, what else? What else should we have asked you? What else do you want to talk about? What else do you want our listeners to know? Whew, man, again, I should have gotten these questions ahead of time. <laughs> what, else, what else do I want people to know? You know... To me, it's you need to I, – I think we have this mentality, and I talked about this on stage when I taught just a little bit ago, that in real estate, we need to hustle, and we need to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we can't have a life. And I think that that is such a fallacy that we have all bought into, and I don't think that that is correct. I think that you need to set up systems into place so that you are not doing that. I always get so upset when I hear from other realtors that – They picked up a phone call during dinner with their family. And it's like, what is the priority here? Is your are your clients the priority or is your family and your health the priority? And to me, our family and our health and our mental well-being should come first. And then our real estate business comes second. We work to have a good life. We don't work just to work. So to me, you know, to me, that is all about systems. It's how I solve that problem, are setting up systems so that. Most of my stuff can be automated. All my communication with clients is automated. You know, I have very detailed systems for client intake and things like that so that I work from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. At 3 o'clock, I pick my son up from the bus stop Monday through Friday, and I am done at that point. I will do maybe an hour's worth of work after he goes to bed, but I try to take Saturdays and Sundays off. I take nights off, you know, and I'm doing 150 to 175 transactions a year, so it's not like I'm not doing a good book of business, (laughs) But I have set it up where my son and my husband are the priority. You know, and even from eight to three, I'm working out two hours out of that time period. So I'm really working like four to five hours a day. And I think that we think that that is not possible in real estate, but it is possible, right? Like I'm not doing showings at night because I have another team, another agent on my team. So my team is two other agents and myself. They like doing the showings. I hate doing the showings at this Mm -hmm. point. So they go do all the showings. They do the inspections. They do the final walkthroughs. I do all of the lead generation. I do all the pricing of the properties. I do all the contract negotiations. I write the contracts. I do the inspection negotiations, et cetera, because I have found what I'm good at and what I like to do. So structure your business around your life rather than the other way around. And if something isn't working for you, don't keep doing it. Right. 
take a step back and figure out like, this isn't working. How can I make this better? And for me, the light bulb for me is always, if I am doing something more than once and I'm getting annoyed by it, then I need to figure out a system to put into place, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I do not write the same email more than once. If I have to write that more than once, that becomes an email template in my system. I pull it up, I send it, right? So if you're doing the same thing more than once, figure out how to have a system in place for that because you should not be so stressed out that you don't have time to get eight hours of sleep and cook food and go to the gym. Like those should be the priorities. I love it. I can hug you from across the table. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for being with us here in Kansas City today. And thank you for coming back on the podcast. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.